Okay, so hear me out. Hear me out. All right. It's a video platform. I'm, I'm with you. All of the cool story-based content of Netflix. All right, all right. I'm in, I'm in. All of the super short, bite-sized videos of YouTube. Hey. Smash them together. And you can watch them in portrait mode. We are talking about Quibi as it is on its way out. Miles, how are you, buddy? I, I'm doing okay. We are we are recording this episode before the election, so it's a, it's a little bit of an anxiety ridden beginning of the week. Yeah, but, overall, but I don't want to think about that for the next right the next quick bite of content. I want to talk <laughs> about uh, this streaming service that is on its way out. Quibi. Yeah, one thing I I do want to talk about is we are probably. We are almost guaranteed to make jokes about this service throughout the month. I do want to communicate that we are not trying to punch down. We understand that this service is gone and that a lot of money was lost. That aspect is not something that we're, because I know people lost their jobs or projects because of this. That is not something we're making light of. Um, We will make light of certain decisions that have been made by uh, higher ups and some of the gaffes that this streaming service objectively made yeah we are not going to be you know making fun of quibi for existing really the the whole reason of this is that miles and i to be quite honest didn't believe in quibi before this whole thing started and now that it's on its way out we thought maybe this is a good time to see what it was like because we may never see anything like this again well, yeah, I mean, because this is an interesting landscape. I mean, the streaming services are starting to pile up more and more. And we're, we are, I mean, Quibi just being the first full, I would say, um, not victim, but I'm trying to think of the word I'm, I'm looking for. But the first the casualty of the streaming first, thank, wars. Thank you, casualty. <laughs> yes, that was the word I was looking for. I guess it's not even oh. the first casualty of the streaming wars, but it is definitely it's, the... It's, it's, it's not the biggest big. casualty so far. Yes. And we've had CISO and other minor things, but this is this is a little bit bigger. And at least in the term uh, uh, of money spent and the the scope of what this project was trying to do. And we're going to touch on this in a second. But for me, and the reason I didn't believe in it is because they never communicated what this service was. I remember seeing uh quibi or quibi because don't know how to say it commercials never said how to say it and it's constantly confusing <laughs> i remember seeing trailers for this this service before movies and the um, super bowl ads were huge yeah the super bowl ad but they never communicated all it, all it looked like is they were watching videos that you could already watch somewhere else on these commercials in these little bite-sized bits or made it look like you could get clips of other shows and so they're trying except, to sell like this. Except bite. Thor was there. <laughs> yeah. Chris Hemsworth. But it just, they never communicated what they were trying to do. And to me, it seemed like they were trying to make some sort of um, like licensed TikTok almost. Like, oh, here's bite sized versions of things that you can actively get elsewhere. 
that that was what their the early commercials said to me and and drew and i talk about this a lot because i mean this is this is stuff that we are interested in and it's just this whole thing's been a bit wild and even though uh they announced their demise last month. The the writing's been on the wall for a little bit. Yeah. Well, so so let's let's get into Quibi or Quibi, which is short for Quick Bites. So Quibi. Quibi. It's it's Quibi? supposed to be Quibi. I is, think. is it? You you see, you're not you're not you're not but sure. I've only ever heard <laughs> it as Quibi. I've never heard it as Quibi, but. Quibi yeah, no, rolls off the tongue more. Right. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter whether it's right or not. The service is going it's, away. It's, yeah, it's, it's gone. But, but that's the that's the thing. I don't think that Quibi is a bad name for this service. I think it's it's cute. It's clever. It's quick bites. Quibi. If they had just if they had literally said that specific thing and I would have given them my voice of quick bites, Quibi, uh, that it would have sold more people on it, I think. But anyway, yeah, uh, the so, advertising marketing was was. Uh, borderline non-existent and awful yeah like i mean i can objectively say that they mismarketed the heck out of this service but go, go on drew get sure so october 21st just a few days ago it feels like we're, we're recording this on november 3rd uh the streaming service quibi announced that it was shutting down just six months after its launch prompting a bunch of people to ask uh, who since its inception, Quibi has struggled to market itself, both in content, the platform itself, to the degree that that House and I just don't know how to pronounce the name, uh, which is wild. Uh, but again, before we get into this week's episode, which is the the show Fifty States of Fright, uh, which is kind of a cool name, uh, we it's wanna, a great name. We want to take a little bit of time to actually go back and talk about this this streaming service, what it was, and how we got from from the idea to the launch, which again was just back in March, uh, right as a pandemic happened. And just to see whether or not this, this, this $2 billion project, $2 billion, uh, whether it was dead from, from the very beginning. And that's, that's what Drew and I have always expressed surprise about because so this company was founded in August 2018 under the name New TV, which is awful, uh, by Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman. And, and well, Meg Whitman wasn't the founder, but she was pegged as a CEO. And so to get into this service, I want to talk a little bit about who these two people are. Katzenberg solidified his reputation when he served as the chairman of Walt Disney Studios from 84 to 94 ushering in what's commonly known as the Disney Renaissance. So he produced films like Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, basically rocketing Disney into what they are today. Yes. After he left Disney, he co-founded and served as the CEO of DreamWorks Animation. And so from there, he produced smash hits again, Shrek, that entire franchise, the Madagascar franchise, the Kung Fu Panda franchise, and How to Train Your Dragon, making DreamWorks a viable animation studio. So you have to just, let's take a pause right here. Listen to those names. Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, Shrek, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon. These yeah. are massive, dollar names. massive names. And, and almost all cultural milestones 
So yeah, we we do. I I think you're right, Drew. We have to stress that. And Meg Whitman was no slouch either. She served as the VP of Strategic Planning for Disney during that same time period before going on the '90s to serve for companies like DreamWorks and Hasbro. But from '98 to 2008, she served as president and CEO of eBay, taking that company from a small company with 30 employees and $4 million of revenue to 15,000 employees and $8 billion in revenue. She was on the Forbes list of 100 most powerful women in the world. So we're giving you these details and the accomplishments of these two people who were the kind of leaders of the service to highlight the fact that these two major forces working on Quibi were not random entrepreneurs. These aren't people like pitching on Shark Tank. And they're not people without any know-how. These were seasoned pros in business and entertainment with hyperbolically large successes behind them. So when when Drew and I started talking about the people behind it, we were we were curious because of the pedigree from which these two people who were the spearheads of this service came. And, and it is it is one just the the amount of money. And the amount of investment that happened simply because these two people were involved in Quibi was huge. Again, two, this $2 billion project that a ton of people have never heard of. Just think about that for a second. That mm-hmm. is astronomical. Uh, so, so if we dial that down a little bit, what made this such a flop and i think we have to call it a flop right now i i know that yeah i and i do want to say that part of part of this 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 whole thing is that the whole idea behind quibi is quick bites of content that you watch on your phone while you're on the train or while you're waiting in line or while you're sipping your coffee at starbucks in the morning Mm -hmm. and it did start in the middle of a global pandemic where people were stuck in the house and watching stuff on their tvs and not their phones but Outside of that, because I think that is definitely something that maybe uh, 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 it absolutely hastened the fall of Quibi. However, because they have gone on record to say, oh, it's it's entirely the fault of the coronavirus. And I just do not think that's true. They have since they have since retracted that. statement, Of course, because everyone called them on their BS. I do want to say they have Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg have taken some responsibility for for how this happened. So they have. They're they're also, I think, and I didn't put this in our our notes, but they are apparently returning three hundred fifty million dollars in investment money to investors. So, I mean. You're trying to make good on this colossal failure. Good. Uh, so, uh, one of the key challenges was describing exactly what Quibi is. As we have, the two people that have watched this service for the last week have also failed to do. Uh, the, <laughs> the service wanted to see premium content, but broken up into bite-sized chunks. And it's not difficult to see where this idea came from. So like you got you're standing in line, Uh, you're on the elevator, you're on the bus. You can watch an entire episode, an entire chunk of content, a quick bite uh, in in, you know, might range from four to ten minutes. And and in that time, you will hopefully get a satisfying consumption of content. The attitude is that there is a weird, elusive demographic of the kids uh, that we're talking about. And and of course, the, the kids, I hate saying that over and over again, mostly because but the, I, but this is this is what they said their 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 aim was. They wanted to get 
what the kids were into and what the younger demographic wanted. And, and so, so again, we also have to compare this content to at the time that Quibi was launching, TikTok was starting to take off, but it hadn't quite taken off yet. It has gotten. Astro- I disagree with that. Maybe it, maybe I'm thinking more towards the end of last year when when TikTok was a known thing, but it, TikTok exploded this year. And TikTok, for people that don't know, is all user generated content, but it's only 30 seconds long and they have a really good algorithm to show you stuff that you want to watch. Uh, I don't want to get into TikTok because that's a whole other thing that we will likely never yeah, cover I, on the show. I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to shame you on your on your lack of TikTok knowledge. Yeah, here it's fine. Tonight, Drew. Uh, no, my, <laughs> I, I did the math and I, I realized, uh, you know, there's this this elusive demographic of 18 to 35 year olds, 18 to 35, 18 to 35, 18 to 35. I'm no longer in that demographic as of a couple months ago. And I. Drew had a problem with it. I've never felt older. Uh, So, uh, uh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so uh, Deadline magazine reported on the death of the service, um, commented in this way. uh, One seasoned Hollywood dealmaker who watched the presentation Katzenberg made to agencies last year to draw talent marveled at the platform's well-publicized limitations in areas like social media sharing, which, side note, is something we also need to talk about. Uh, The dealmaker wondering if executives sat down with actual millennials to say if they really wanted quick bite scripted mobile programming or if it was just these two 60-something titans saying, boy, are the kids going to love this. Uh, and, And that's, we have to talk about that because this is one of the other things that happened. When you were watching a Quibi show, and this is, again, something that has been rectified since, but you could not take a screenshot of a Quibi show. You could not Mm -hmm. take a clip of a Quibi show to share online. There was no social media integration at all. The simple fact is there was not even a web based player for Quibi. You could only watch it on your phone. Which is I mean, it's it's so it's so misguided. I, I, I see what they were trying to do. They're trying to make this bold statement. I, I, I get that. And I honestly I see the idea of like we want to gel- to deliver like bite sized scripted chunks. But th- it, 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 this is a tough call. But but what you touched on about the the you know if this is something anyone actually wanted, that's generally what the idea of people who even knew about Quibi was what, what, one of the had. one of the biggest Quibi launches and something that we will be talking about very soon is is a a an adaptation of the most dangerous game that has Chris Hemsworth in it. If I think that's the right one. So you've got is it Chris Chris or is it Liam? I thought it was Chris Hemsworth. I don't know. One of the Hemsworths. It was Liam. Then maybe it's not quite so interesting. But Liam Hemsworth. (laughs) One of seriously though, Liam Hemsworth is one of the biggest stars on the planet right now. Chris. Chris is, but Liam is the one in the show. Correct. But Liam is all I mean, Liam had the whole thing. Yeah, Liam's a big enough star, too, but I would not call Liam Hemsworth. Liam, one of the biggest was, stars all, on the planet. Liam was also married to one of the biggest stars on the planet and had a very public divorce. I think from, engaged. I think. Did they not get married and then immediately fell apart? So. Doesn't matter. I'm too old to be having this conversation. But you've got. And if you look at any Quibi content. I don't know if you're right. That he, he was married for two years. Thank you. 
anyway, and Cyrus. Uh, anyway. That's, that's who we're talking about, by the way. <laughs> yes, but you've got, and, and this is this is also something that we'll talk about when we talk about Fifty States of Fright. There is a ton of talent in this, and not just not like Emmy winning talent, Oscar winning talent, Golden Globe talent doing these. As- four minute bite-sized chunks of content and it just makes you wonder why why well, are we and that's, doing that's this that's the thing is is some of the content that you have I, I and this is where i think they did the right thing as far as getting the actual content they got they didn't do a bad job with it they resurrected some some member berries uh ips like singled out the dating game show from when you were 10 years old uh, Chrissy Teigen got a, a a cop show. Well, you also a, had a cop a, show, a court show, <laughs> a court show. Speaking of cop shows, you did. They did resurrect Rin 911 with the original cast. And so there were there were some things that they, they brought back, but there also were things where they utilized a lot of creative, a creative, a known creative talent that helped usher in newer creative talent. And in, in that aspect, I think some of that in terms of the goals of this streaming service was pretty good. They, 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 this is not a complete up to down or uh, a uh, top to bottom failure. But while they did assemble an impressive row of creators and personalities, very little of its original content was given any proper marketing. As I said before, I never saw anything until unless I happened to hear of something from a site, that, a news site that I go to yeah. and looked up the trailer on YouTube. Which is how uh, I saw anything from the show we're talking about tonight and the show we're going to talk about next week. But when I saw those trailers before a movie or at the Super Bowl or uh, when I was watching wrestling, it was always other content that had already come out. It was never, I can't say never because I'm sure it eventually was, but it wasn't the content from their original programming. So... Not only that, but in keeping with the idea that this was the the kids mostly stayed glued on their phones, like Drew said, you can only watch this on a mobile app because the TV app wasn't released until what, last month? No, so so smart TV apps were released literally October 20th, the day oh, before. The day, the day before. So, so as and I wrote here, until the service was all but dead. Not, not to mention, they released this unproven service with untested content at the price of $7.99 with a later $4.99 version with short ads. And, and I think both Drew and I agreed that the, the five to second ads before something started is not that invasive. Uh, and we are both very anti-ad people. I yeah. We both pay for ad-free Hulu. Miles t- told uh, me, oh, there are ads before things happen. I was like, oh, don't worry, I'll take care of that. And uh, pulled out the old <laughs> wallet. And then 12 episodes later, 12 quibbies later, I, uh, I had... It's not a big deal. Had not a big deal. So you combine this with all the marketing that failed to communicate to potential customers what the service actually was and why you should invest in this one in a landscape where there's already too many services including HBO Max, which had launched a month later, you, you kind of have a mess because with H, HBO Max, that's a known name. People are going to buy that known name. It's with Creepy, you had no names, no content, no, no, no house of cards. You had nothing to sell. You didn't have a house of cards or a Stranger Things or well, a Game of I, Thrones. I would argue that you did. They just didn't promote that. Well, I, I, that's I possible. We, I, we were going to find that out. We're going to find that out this month, based on uh, based on uh, a few a few things. I'm not sure you can blame the content for this. 
I, I completely agree. I, what I'm saying is a lot of that content that we know, you know, went out to reviews. I mean, House of Cards was critically lauded before it launched. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there there was stuff that was housed. And I, I do remember because, again, both Drew and I follow a lot of tech blogs and a lot of I follow a lot of pop culture blogs. So I do remember people speaking nicely of the content from Queeby, but still kind of confused by the purpose of the service but i also remember tech blogs making fun of the concept of quibi for a year before it launched i mean again and that's we said at the top of the show you and i have done that the very same thing <laughs> yeah so that's the thing like it launched already having the cards stacked against it and just well we'll get into that so quibi launched yes. on april 6th of 2020 yes we're in november of 2020 it launched on april 6th yes most of the united states was already on lockdown when this service launched again hindsight is 2020 i guess uh but what in else? 2020 what, yeah uh, it was downloaded <laughs> about 300,000 times off of the uh, uh we have we only have the notes for the the apple app store uh, and it became the number three app on launch day which which honestly not impressive numbers. that impressive uh and it, it saw a total of 1.7 million downloads its first week uh but it never really maintained that momentum uh, it fell out of the top 50 in, in free apps uh, about a week later. And by July, it was reported by some sources that only 8% of Quibi's early adopters converted into paying customers because they started with like a month long free trial, something crazy. Uh, uh, no, 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 90 days. Was it 90 days? It was 90 days. Oh, wow. That's that's, that's why that number didn't hit until July. Oh, man. Because you got April, May, and June, so the retention was was what I I almost did it. I had a, a conversation with a friend of mine, um, another podcaster about that because I almost did it because I wanted to see the stranger, which we'll talk about next week, um, because of the people involved and but I wasn't sold on their delivery method, which we will talk about when we talk about our show so, this week. Yeah, so I'm just looking at math and I'm doing this math in my head and I don't do math, but eight percent of 1.7 million is in the good is in the thousands of dollars when you've got a two billion dollar investment now i think i think a good chunk of that was also reflushed into the company about july-ish i think they said there was about 700 million that was flushed into the company by the time but still well, and, and and to be fair other places reported that it was a more optimistic 27 percent instead of eight percent but either way yes. Quibi wasn't working. It was never able to really pull together the right marketing, the right information because of the pandemic. Technologically, they were behind as far as just getting people to watch their content and just to gain the right customers. Because I feel like mm -hmm. after after all of this, the right market that they were going for just wasn't available and they weren't ready to, to flex into a different market fast enough. Yeah, and while it's... <laughs> And I did the same thing. Well, it's easy to make fun of them to set for saying, oh, we're going to blame the coronavirus. There is a legitimate argument to that because uh, this is going to be a weird comparison. But one of the reasons that both the, the PSP and Monster Hunter were so popular in Japan is because people had our uh, hour long subway rides and with, that had Wi-Fi attached to it. And people would play Monster Hunter on their PSP on the subway. That was one of the most popular ways to play multiplayer when you're traveling around in Japan. And when you take out that aspect 
I mean, Monster Hunter wasn't on the Vita. And the Vita, well, it went the way of Quibi. Yeah, but Monster Hunter was on the 3DS, and the 3DS was extremely popular. So, yeah. And it's not a perfect analogy, but the same thing, if people were traveling and commuting as much as they were before the pandemic really hit, I could see them retaining some numbers, but I still, I honestly, I think this would have been a difference of the company possibly bowing out at the end of the year or maybe early next year, as opposed to October of this year, because they still had so many problems with communication and delivery of content. And I don't know if they could have recovered enough subscribers to make a difference, regardless of the coronavirus. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I think that the the time there was a time code, a timestamp on this already from the very beginning. It also hurts that I don't. I am a millennial. I am no longer in the 1835 demo, but I I I drive to work. I'm not on a bus. I'm not on a subway. I right. don't I don't often have the downtime. Like if I have downtime to watch something while I'm at work, I have downtime to watch something more than four minutes. And especially considering that I might watch four minutes of content and that ends on a cliffhanger as we will get into this and then have to wait a day or a week to get another four minutes. Let's let's get into to the actual show, because I feel like All we right. need to we need to to give this quick bite a little bit of yeah. an extended chew. That's a terrible thing. Wish I hadn't said it. Um, I'm glad you did. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this week we did 50 States of Fright, which coming off of uh, Halloween was was a great segue. This show was executive produced by Sam Raimi. Uh, horror fans will know him as the creator, writer and director of the Evil Dead franchise. Everyone else will know him as the director of the original Spider-Man trilogy. Yes. Um, that is putting it very simply. So don't come at me with, oh, I know Sam Raimi <laughs> from making Darkman or The Gift or yeah, I know what he's done. Yeah. Um, so so the, this- whole, the whole idea behind 50 States of Fright is that each each uh, run story. and each story and these stories take place typically over two or three quibbies. <laughs> say episodes, dude. Just say episodes. I can't not because they're stop, not episodes. Stop. They're quick bites. Stop. Stop hurting yourself. Stop hurting yourself. I'm begging you. Uh, So so they basically take a state and they take a a a a urban legend from that state or or something, something from that state, folklore, urban legend, like Drew said, or even like a weird little facet from that state, uh, like like in the Kansas episode. And I love this. I love this concept. And I love, as we're going to get into it, the delivery of these episodes. These episodes are basically a don't argue afraid of darks. <laughs> they they absolutely are in in the sense that some of them are really good, some of them are not, and some of them have Ryan Reynolds. But uh, I'm kidding, he's not in any of these. Don't. I was just saying, I don't remember that. <laughs> but like, he could have been. He could have well, been this, in one this of these. Show, for the most part, with the exception of I think maybe the Florida entry, there is usually one or two notable actors in these stories i mean and so, some of the ones we didn't get to see was like uh christina ricci or rory culkin or luke wilson but we did see some some pretty notable people and it's a lulu wilson not luke wilson oh it is i haven't well so that's from season two so i haven't watched it so i just misread yeah. that um 
So the, Drew was really excited about the first episode, and I did not realize this had become such a mimetic thing. But the first episode is uh, for Michigan. It's the Golden Arm, and and this this story, which is told over uh, three weepies, um, no, th- three episodes. I can't do it. Sorry. Uh, written and directed by Sam Raimi and his brother Ivan Raven, Raimi as well. Yeah. Um, so it's it's based off of a folktale uh, that appears uh, in a number of different things, but actually mo- probably most famously told by Mark Twain. Uh, and and it's about greed. Uh, yes. And, and what happens with when greed affects you and death and this sort of thing. So what we- I did like about the story, despite how silly it is, is it does kind of twist the greed because usually the greed is on the person who is still living. And this one kind of plays with that a little bit. Yeah. So so we have uh, Heather and David. Uh, Heather's played by Rachel Brosnahan, who is most uh, famous for being the fabulous Mrs. Maisel on uh, or Miss Maisel, excuse me, on uh, on Amazon Prime. And Travis Fimmel, who uh, he was Ragnar in the Viking show. He was which we uh, did an episode of. Uh, he uh, it was in the Warcraft movie. Uh, most recently, he was in. I Ra- forget that he was in the Warcraft movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, most recently, he is in uh, Raised by Wolves on HBO Max. So he got to be in two brand new streaming services this this year. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and and the thing is, both both of those actors they bring their game. Like, both of them are very good. I think my problem with this this story, and especially because unlike the rest of this series, the Golden Arm. Uh, Princess Michigan. All the episodes, all three of them, were released on April six on launch day, so that you could watch each of these episodes. And I think the first one's about four minutes, the second's ten, and the third is eight. If I'm, that's about. I can't remember the that. specifics, but yeah, ten is the lar- longest any of these ever are. Um, yes. I want to say maybe actually I take that back. I think there's one eleven minute episode, but it, it's it's so, so what so what's it, this story is is Heather is uh, the prettiest girl in town. And she is married to her high school sweetheart, David, who struggles financially to give her everything that she wants. She, she, he is a lumberjack yes. and he has a last minute uh, last minute call and he needs her help on the call because his his uh, guy he normally does the stuff with is sick. Called out. Yeah. So he he takes her with him. She doesn't know what she's doing. A tree falls and crushes her arm. And so now, the which pr- and again, all it, of the- it would have it, it, it's and this is this is this is again, as someone who has watched a lot of Sam Raimi movies, there is a weird amount of subtle comedy in this, because when the tree falls on her arm, there is this weird spurt of blood, splatter of blood. And that like, happens so many times. And this it's everything about this. And they were very smart to get Sam Raimi to direct and co-write the first story because he's a big name to bring people in that I get this story to be perfectly honest. It's kind of dumb. So it's, I I understand that it is a classic version of a classic story, but it is over overtaken by the fact that when, when, so basically, he cuts off her arm to save her life because she's losing too much blood. And 
she basically she recovers and falls into a depression. She doesn't like any of the prosthetics that she's been given. She, she feels she now instead of being the the prettiest girl in town, she feels hideous and ugly. And this is something that honestly, this is the one quibby that i think might have served better in a longer format to give a hundred percent to give her time for that story and to to really feel itself oh, out. i want to comment about that on the uh, when we when we finish talking about this episode because i i do think this, this was the wrong episode to start off with yeah i i agree uh so so of course then david uh, who is also a metal worker in addition to a a lumberjack and handyman. He's uh, a handy guy. He crafts her, spends all of his money craft. He crafts her this golden prosthetic arm. Which my whole thing was like, oh, can you make it out of gold? I'm like, first of all, a gold arm is not being useless to you because it'll break very, very easily. Just spray paint it or plate it gold. Wasn't good like, enough. Wasn't good enough. I, well, that's and that's the problem is both of these characters kind of suck like they're 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 both they're neither of them are bad people per se but they're they're both kind of yeah let's let's continue let's let's push forward because i feel like our description of the show is being longer than the quibi itself uh, <laughs> uh so so he makes the golden arm she gets obsessed with the golden arm uh, she she ends up getting something called pulmonary gold disease, which is this is where the show this is where this episode in particular, this quibby is notable because it that is hilarious. She wearing her golden arm all the time. The gold is starting to infect her heart and she's dying, but she won't take the arm off. And then she utters the phrase as she's on her deathbed. Bury me with my golden arm. And I you can't help but laugh at that. It's funny. It's not supposed they, to be funny. I don't think it's supposed no, to be funny. And that's the problem with Raimi is you can never tell because he does so much. He always combines horror and comedy. But this is so self-serious that it doesn't read as a joke. If it's supposed to be funny, it doesn't land that way. If it's supposed to be serious, it doesn't land that way. Well, and the, the problem is he does this a lot. I mean, he did this in Drag Me to Hell. He he does things where like you can't tell if he's trying to make a joke. And sometimes it's it it's to the detriment of the work because so much about this has his directorial stamp on it in a lot of the ways that the scares happen, because, of course, she dies. And I mean, he just can't recover financially. They actually bring up the the Great Recession and that he is just so behind and he's there's one night where he's just so distraught and he's been drinking and he's so behind on bills that he's like, I, I have basically I have to get this arm back because at least I can I can balance myself out. And that's that's what's interesting, because usually in these kind of stories, you just like, oh, I know about this golden arm. I'm going to take that and make a bundle. And and here it's used for well. <sighs> At least I'll be able to stay afloat. Yeah. And so, of course, I, her, I, I did. I did appreciate that aspect of it. Of course, her greedy ghost comes back to life and kills him to take the arm back. And. And everything all and is said and done. That is in pure Sam Raimi fashion. So from, from the way that the the picture falls and starts changing uh, photographs every single time he looks at it, which I, I know you laughed at it, but so I, I did. That I did laugh at it because I thought it was funny, but I did. I asked Miles. 
before we started this, because this is a horror series. And I wanted to know legitimately, can you be scared by something that you're watching on your phone? And I don't. I don't like saying I don't think so, because someone's going to prove you wrong. But with the content that we watched, because here's the thing on your iPhone, on your Android, on whatever device you're using, unless you're watching this in a darkened room, and even then, it's super bright. And the reflective surface always makes it difficult to see things in the dark. <laughs> uh, every time that there was a super dark scene, I was staring more at my face than what was happening on the yes on the screen. I mean, that, that, that is a huge problem with watching things strictly on your phone. And, and and that's in general, even when I watch movies um, when I'm, you know, at, at work or, or at, at a game or something, and I'm just, you know, watching something, when you watch something on your phone, you know, there's, there's limitations. And yes, for a horror series, I think the content in general of this series is fantastic. But yes, that is a huge problem. And I think some of the stories that they come up with later do a good job of trying to remedy that. Yeah, so let's 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 burn through some of these because because uh, we could literally spend hours talking about these five minute quibbies. Uh, so the the next one up was America's largest ball of twine uh, with with Ming Na Wen. I loved this one. I I I, I was hit and miss on it basically imagine if the world America's largest ball of twine which is a real thing in Kansas was actually a <laughs> was actually a, a, a totem to the dead children of the guy who created it and the ball of twine comes to life and absorbs children to give the dead well, it, children like, inside yeah, also someone to play the with town people like it, it makes the townspeople like these like they're not zombies, but they're twine people. They're twine, like they're scarecrow people. It's weird. Like that was a cool effect. They got hit by axes and they had like twine coming out of them instead of uh, yeah. And and so mean uh, basically the story is Mina Wen and her daughter are just basically they're they're moving somewhere west or east. I can't. They don't. They really specify, but they're 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 using that whole kind of that weird USA like uh, highway spectacle. Oh, we've got the world's biggest ball of twine. And she thinks, okay, this will be a good distraction for my daughter. And she's talking to cops, and there's some some weird racism going on that they don't really touch on because they're like, "Where are you from?" Oh, I'm from here. But no, where are you from originally? I'm from here. You speak really well, good English. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, all right. I mean, it's super uncomfortable. But um, the kid goes off to look at the ball of twine and gets absorbed by it, which is a great. So this one does a great job of using the queeby because it get absorbs and you see her hand try to pop out and try to call for her mom. And the, the four minute episode ends and that was well done. Yeah. Um, the rest of it kind of feels like the, the last two queebies should have been involved in one because they do a good job of of kind of skipping like a day almost, and she's can't find her daughter, and she's in the police station, and they they the, the townspeople seem to be convinced that oh she could be the one. They don't say the one what, and we don't find out at the end of this thing, but they try to make her a twine person by making her swallow a string of yarn. It's weird, so basically, <laughs> but basically towards at the end. Uh, spoiler warning for this uh, six minute thing. Uh, it's a bad ending. They don't get out. She tries to get her out. She can't get her out. And they well, get and absorbed by the ball of twine. That's it's very tells to the crypt. Um, 
but again, and one thing that we talked about a little bit, but I really love these kind of each episode. And this one, uh, you're interviewed with the cop and you hear someone talking to the cop and the cop is being given these very aggressive questions. And she's like, you know, you haven't seen the ball of Tawan yet. Let me give you a personal tour. Indicating whoever's asking the questions is going to get absorbed next. Going to get twined, but baby. I, I do. I love these kind of uh, folk. It adds the folk tale aspect of the show is having these shows narrated by different people who are telling somebody these these stories. Um, and and I thought the a really good one was especially for for what I would have thought Quibi would be is. Um, Scared Stiff, which is Oregon, so the, the I, I, next part of I'm going to say they started off with probably their biggest names in their biggest talent pool. You've got they, they end with it, too. Uh, the, you've got uh, uh, Rachel Brosnahan, Travis Fimmel in the first one. You got Ming-Na Wen and Karen Allen in the second one in Scared Stiff. And so the, with the next one, Scared Stiff, Grey Cloud Island and and uh, Destino, uh, which are Oregon, Minnesota and Florida, respectively. I got way into this. I turned around on my feelings about Quibi in this moment because I, I still can't believe you're not behind the the, the, the twine episode because I'm, that you know, way, I'm, it's, it's so weird and so dumb. It's like, so wild. But so 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 scared stiff is, is it's a two part Quibi instead of a three part Quibi, which, which the rest of these are. Um, but what it, this one is such a different feel in that the first one was like a ghost story and the second one was a, a documentary trying to get to the bottom of this one. This one felt like a weird, um, like a, sh- a fancy short film that that I'm trying to think of a director that this might have been uh, associated with. But you've got uh, but it's it's like if if if. Um, What's his beak who did uh, 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 the, the, the movie with the, the Royal Tenenbaums, Wes Anderson. If Wes Anderson did oh, a yeah, horror so. movie, it feels this, a little this, bit like okay, that. Yeah, it is very much like that. Like, so all, all of these do have a docu style. Um, and before before we move on, the uh, largest ball of twine was uh, the story was conceived and it was directed by uh, a, like a, I think she's super young, Yoko uh, Akamura. Um, awesome awesome voice and and ryan spindell who does scared stiff which is the the two-part oregon one which the one that drew really dug it's also very very cool because you start off with this this casual conversation about taxidermy and this, this casual guy who gets- this casual yet kind of weird conversation about taxidermy with this taxidermist played by emily hampshire who's probably known best for being uh stevie on uh Schitt's creek um so that was okay yeah, um that's it that's was bugging it was. me uh, I, I i also enjoy this one uh it's about a taxidermist who gets a late night caller who just who hits something and they're they're not sure what it was and 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 the the actor who plays um sebastian uh james james ransom and uh, for me, he's he's the deputy in Sinister and Sinister 2, but you might have recently seen him as Eddie Kasprak in It Chapter 2. And he was also on The Wire. Yeah, but but so, so he puts this he puts this thing together because he's the world's best taxidermist or at least uh, uh, Oregon's best taxidermist. <laughs> yeah, and it's his his humble brags are, are pretty great because when he he refuses to to 
take in this this creature that was hit the guy's like oh well i'll, I'll go to i can't remember what the name he says but it's, it's basically like you know i believe it's it, megan bloom who is the the other taxi right, megan bloom's a name but it's like it's like it's some silly kind of new agey name and and he's so offended by the fact that that megan bloom would would touch this thing that he's like no no no, i'll, I'll i will take care of this yeah and, and so he puts he puts the thing together and he realizes it's a it's a sasquatch but it's and it's, that that term was great as soon as he's like i, I kind of thought that might be what it was because of where this this story was taking place but when he when he just went ahead oh it's a sasquatch and i'm like oh man where are we going with this where are we going with this and then all of a sudden the bang on the door as and perfect timing for that episode that could be to end yeah again a really good moment for the queeby to end and because i mean that this episode is what maybe five minutes tops it's super short and yeah the it, it ends with the guy uh who brought in the creature banging on the door he the taxidermist or sebastian opens the door or opens his little like viewing slide and sees this horrified look on the guy's face so he opens the door and all you see is Sebastian's face, which is also a look of horror, and the episode ends. You don't see what Sebastian's seeing, which is a great way to open up Again, the this episode. This, this, to me, is is the t- the point where this series turns around, because this is when they get the, the medium. They get the the point. They get the, the they, they have a super short moment, and it's just perfectly encapsulated in this little four to six minute bit i don't remember the specific timing on that one and then you well, go to the next one and they just get right to it and it's done and it's the so whole thing and they don't stretch anything is, out unnecessarily they don't add an extra scene in for no good reason this is the comment i want to make on that because sam raimi is a known film director and has done some tv he's an older man and that's that's no disrespect to Sam Raimi, but all he did was make a television episode and split it into three parts. And it doesn't feel that natural. But when you have uh, Yoko Akamura or Ryan Spindell, who did the, the Kansas and Oregon episodes, they're younger and they seemed to kind of understand what Queeby was trying to do. And they they wrote their little episodes, the chunks for that idea. Because both Kansas and Oregon really go into the idea of these are miniature episodes. They don't like neither of these feel like they were one episode split into three parts or two parts. They all felt like little mini episodes. Yeah. Uh, and and that's where I want to get into Grey Cloud Island because I think Scared Stiff is probably my favorite, but Grey Cloud Island is, which is the next, uh, the Minnesota section, is the next one. And I don't want to say too much about it because I feel like again we're explaining too much about something that people could literally spend fifteen minutes and get the entire experience for. But yeah, the thing is, is like we, what we're doing is we're 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 looking at something that no one else cared to look at. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Clearly, look at the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, so uh, Gray Cloud Island is, uh, it's basically a classic '80s horror movie condensed into 15 minutes, which is it's so wild. And this this has like the most, uh, yeah, like you said, the, the the typical '80s horror vibe. A bunch of frat boys are doing a hazing ritual on a supposedly haunted island. 
the frat and, boy the frat boy is one of which is played by asa butterfield who you may know from uh sex education sex education and a uh, bunch of other stuff like uh what was that movie with the about the the kid um the the movie about the kid the with the what he in uh, uh hugo not hugo well he wasn't hugo ender's game was what he, i was thinking he of. was hugo <laughs> but he was hugo i was thinking ender's game but again he he had a lot of big careers yes. when he was the, the martin scorsese movie or the sci-fi flop <laughs> so anyway uh <laughs> So it's it's him and a bunch of other frat boys and they are in a hazing ritual and they are trying to make their way across the island to to meet up with their masked fraternity uh, dudes in the van who are going to drive them home. The, the whole the whole thing plays off like a typical Greek event. And I I really like this because I, I, I think you're, you're right, Drew. I had just had the total 80s vibe. And you, know, you know exactly who each of the four frat boys is based on their initial reaction, which is exact. There's the jerk. Yeah. There's the one who's who's scared. There's the one who's the tough guy. There's the one and then who's there's the the clear, the shy, sensitive protagonist. Yeah, exactly. Must be the good guy. And, and, and there is they, they run off to a house and they are then betrayed by the person in the house. And then they they rescue somebody and the person that they rescue turns out maybe to be somebody bad after all. And it's this whole thing. And it's just it's all of those tropes just compressed into 15 minutes. Now, to I, I do think that this one suffers a little bit from the fact that it could have just been a short film and not broken up into three parts. And and with horror, especially, that is going to be the issue. Um, I I I want to say this. I love this show. I love what it's doing. And I love all of these episodes. There was not a single one, even though I'm a little harder on the golden arm, mostly because of who's writing and directing this 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 episode. I thought everything that we watched is really good. I this and this is something that I, I that we're going to ask each other every single time we do something this month is is this style of delivery for this specific service worth this story and i think for 50 50 uh, states of fright for me i would have much rather had a regular show that was you know 30, your, 45 your, minutes yes yeah and well, yes, these these this middle chunk here, the uh, Kansas, Oregon and Minnesota ones, they do a good job of using the format because while while Drew sped through this, they split up this episode extremely well. And I, I have to commend them for that. And this is done very well. It's filmed. It's shot beautifully. It it plays up that 80s uh woods vibe amazingly you know you said shot beautifully this is also something i want to say because i think it needs to be said a lot of care was taken in the video quality side of things all Mm -hmm. this stuff is shot for screens way better than what is on most people's phones it is which which also brings the question why was it only on your phone yeah and they they also built tech and i i would uh um sorry i almost had to sneeze I, I I would go through and and so they built the tech so that you could switch your phone from portrait to landscape, and it was supposed to be able to work in both portrait and landscape as you watched it. Um, I don't think that was always a hundred percent successful, but it was kind of neat that they did that. Even though, like many people, I don't like portrait video when I'm watching videos, but 
I also watch portrait videos because it's easier to hold my phone that way sometimes. So I see I see why they did that. Um, I do want to spend. A I little... see I see why they did it. It just didn't work for me. Yeah, I do want to get into the last bit of this, which is Destino, which is the Florida one, because I think this is. This is the first one in the South. It's the first one uh, that is shot mostly in the daytime, <laughs> which I was in, which I was found interesting. And, and I also think that cinema cinematographically, this did the most interesting stuff. Well, um, and this one is a, a found footage style. It's done from a uh, cop cam and it will not shock you to know this. Well, you might not know the names, but uh, Alejandro Bruges and Eduardo Sh- Sanchez wrote and directed this. They are the creators of the Blair Witch Project. Oh, that makes some sense. That's why I said this is bookended with two big names in horror. See, I didn't know that going into this. But so it, like Miles said, this is shot from the perspective of police body cams on this. Which I thought was pretty cleverly done. It was neat. It wasn't always from that perspective, which was a little weird, but it was well, mostly from that perspective. And this one, this one is odd because actually I take that back. It was always from that perspective. It was just from the perspective of body cams from people that we didn't know were already dead. <laughs> well, there's that, but you also get a little bit of the CCT uh, footage as well. There, there, there is a, a degree of editing in, in this episode that they don't explain, and that's fine. I don't care. But it, it you'll jump from one person's body cam to another person's body cam to get perspective and stuff. And and that's fine. But it also shows that in the realm of found footage, you're always trying to basically claim reality. And some people want to keep that that veil real tight. And some people just are a very lazy affair. And this is this is one of those examples where it doesn't matter. And I'm 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 of the camp that it doesn't matter as long as you tell me a good story and you keep it you keep it spooky. I sure. don't care. Sure. Because yeah, we jump from perspective from perspective because there are four different cops that we follow in this this series of episodes, and I really really liked this one. I I did too. It was it was the most different of the others, and it makes me sad that like we got. Okay, we got Michigan, we got Kansas, we got Oregon, we like Michigan, Oregon, Minnesota, three, three northern states where stuff is cold and 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 all of that. But you know, well, with, and, the, and the four and the four in season two are Iowa, Washington, Colorado, and Missouri. Like, I want to see South Carolina because you know it's going to be. It would have been. I deeply want to see South Carolina. It would have been. Not lie. I would hope that it would be pirate ghost based. But it probably so. But it probably would wouldn't. Think, it would probably be based on something else that happened in the south. Well, I would think it would be either the Gray Man, or for whatever reason, lizard people are super popular here. I don't know how that got started. Or it could be the clowns, the weird clowns that we well, had a few years ago. We could do the the the, the, the Greenville clowns from from my neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> but I would also like to see Georgia. I would love to see some of these places that I'm I grew up around. Yeah. Um and and this is this is what gives me such a a a a sad face emoticon for for this potential series ending because I want to see all 50 states and I want to see all 50 states again because again I think this show 
is a great concept. I think its delivery is amazing in terms of it being kind of a, for the most part, a a spoken word interview docudrama until we get to Destino, Florida. Yeah. Then we get this found footage story, which is really good because you get this 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 bit where these cops are hanging out, and then two of them get a call of a goat being stolen, and one cop acts suspiciously out of character, like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll handle it, and the other guys end up going off, and she's like, we should have taken it, we should have taken it. But it's like, all right, you're, you're telegraphing your passes. This is why you guys haven't made a, a, a successful movie since The Blair Witch Project. Um, <laughs> I know that's really hard, but they haven't. Um, but otherwise, I think this this movie's or this movie this episode's done very well. I think a lot of the tension is done in a way that, like Drew said, it's a daylight horror, and daylight horror on your phone is much more effective. Yeah, uh, and because you can't you can't play with shadows as much when you're when you're only on your phone. And you, it, it's a, it was shot for 55 inch TV screens, but presented as if it was on a five inch, four inch, three inch cell phone screen. And it's exactly. just it, it, and it's just it doesn't it doesn't work as well. And I, and and this is where I, I am interested, at, at least from what we know about Quibi and the way that content ownership with Quibi works. Quibi doesn't own the shows, so which the, I find very cool i think it's very cool that they said hey we want you to create cool things and you get to keep your cool thing now they do own the license for it for seven years and then after that the uh, the the license reverts back to the creator i i would imagine now that queeby's ending from from the way they seem to be handling their stuff i am willing to give them the benefit of the doubt they will allow uh, them to pursue these projects well, elsewhere I right, right now I they're trying to who, right now they're trying to sell uh the those licenses to other services and people aren't really biting which is part of why we're doing this but again that's something where we may not get the re- the other 50 states right now which would be a crime but, again but they i, I want to see south carolina so bad but they could <laughs> and that's the thing like they well, the quibi doesn't own this unlike netflix which owns everything and this is part of why quibi was able to to recruit all of these super talented people to do things because there are creators that don't want to work with netflix because netflix claims entire ownership of everything you make Dan Harmon, who did a show for Quibi, doesn't like Netflix and doesn't want to work with Netflix for that reason. But he'll work for Quibi because he'll get to own his stuff at the end of the day. And and, and that's something that I'm interested to see as we go into other shows and other bits of content, how that works out. I'm I'm really hoping that Shudder picks this up because, one, they have a good relationship with Sam Raimi, uh, who's an executive producer of the show. And... It's vastly different from the creep show anthology show they're doing because this is this is such a different type of thing. This is more urban legend folklore and culturally distinct things from these states. And I think that is something that is super, super fun. But but in a way that especially but 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 I want to I want to highlight something that you said at the beginning that this is are you afraid of the dark for adults? Absolutely. I I worry that if anybody else picks this up, they're going to want to make each state an hour and a half long big thing and i think Um, it works super well as a short 20 to 30 minute deal judging by how they've done creep show 
they've kept that one at a tight 20, 30 minutes, and that has two stories in each episode. So they're they're telling 15-minute stories. I could see even doing that with like two states doing 15 minutes per each state because that's a, about how long these episodes were for sure yeah. um so, so Sh- shutter doesn't fall in the temptation to do something now if a bigger network picked it up i could see all right each each story is going to be a full hour long and i don't think that's necessary one of the benefits of doing this kind of of horror story at bite size is it it never falls into the trap of outstaying its welcome yes uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of horror you get in you get spooked and then you got an hour and a half more to go and by the end of it you're just it's it's whatever and- I, I just i just watched the movie halloween for the very first time this past weekend and yes. uh spoiler warning for a 30 year old 40 year old movie uh there there is a moment where michael myers looks defeated and then gets back up three or four times. It's like just one time too many. One time too many. Hey, one time too many. I will I will forever defend Halloween. Um, but but like, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but again, I compare it to Great Cloud Island, Minnesota, in this, and it's just a perfect encapsulation of everything you need out of one of those types of movies. Just done. Perfect. Yes. And and in that, I I here's the thing. Does 50 States of Fright justify Queeby for me? No. Nope. That said, I think the, the content that we received is very good and very cool. I just don't think the platform and, does it any favors. And, and, that's, and, and that's the problem. I, I, I agree. I, I, I don't think, and while a couple of these, these writers and directors did a great job of utilizing the delivery format, the way it was supposed to be intended, I don't think that's going to be the majority here. And I'm really curious about how we we go forward with uh, next week's uh, show, which is going to be called The Stranger. And I am pretty excited about this one because uh, it has uh, an actress who's uh, become a kind of a modern scream queen and was the star of one of my favorite horror films, uh, It Follows. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, but this one is, is pretty much about a, a ride share gone horribly wrong, and each episode takes place at a different portion of that night, and the episodes are titled, I think, after the, the time of day that it takes place. And... I find that that could potentially be very interesting, depending on how they do it. Like the first episode's called 7 p.m. It's it's all hours, kind of like 24 was. There's a total of 13 episodes. They were all written and directed by Vina Sud. Um, so it's all under one creator. So that could be something that helps the show um and and the the, the creator of the show was a a ex, uh, exec producer and writer of the killing and a lot of other um mystery focused shows so i'm really hopeful that that this one sells me more on the series because this is definitely another one that they sold as this is a queeby original i this is this is almost the first trailer that i saw for an original queeby show so i'm hoping that the stranger ends up being 
what 50 states 50 states of fright wasn't as much as i really loved 50 states of fright i don't think queeby was the delivery system that that show needed i i agree wholeheartedly so let's let's try it something that's a little different something that might fit these little quick bites uh, a little bit better uh, yeah so, and so, I, I and i i do have to say um as far as uh, not preconceived notions but uh my, my current thoughts is well absolutely i agree with what we've been saying this entire episode while that that queeby's not quite right i've not hated my time with the service so far so far, the the content when it comes to services, content is king. And so far, I've been pleased with the content. Yeah. Haven't have, haven't loved the experience, but yes, I, I'm 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 interested in seeing more. So let's let's keep this train rolling on yeah. on and on until it <laughs> runs off the bridge. Till it, till, till it runs out at the end of this month. <laughs> yeah. So with that said, that's that's it for 50 States of Fright. Next week will be The Stranger. And we will see you next time. If you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at themoreunerd.com. You can tweet to us at themoreunerd and you can Facebook at, at facebook.com slash themoreunerd. And you can email us themoreunerd at gmail.com. That's themoreunerd at gmail.com but until next time we end the show as we always do with a rousing nerd, nerd. out